Are we there yet? Have you asked yourself that question? I know you have. I know you've heard that question on a long trip. And maybe you're asking yourself that question right now as we work our way through this Old Testament book of Exodus. Now, we've been here since January, and we're about halfway through if you look at the actual chapter division. So we're going to be in Exodus for a little while yet. Uh, But I imagine that it's that question, maybe one of the questions that Moses and a handful of the Israelites are asking at this point in time in the wilderness. Um, They've been in the desert now, wandering for about three months. Uh, The Lord is testing them. The Lord is showing them His power, His provision. Um, And you wonder, are are they learning anything uh, from the Lord through Moses as He gives them Uh, this counsel and instruction? Are they growing in their trust? We hope that these things are happening among the people. We hope that that's happening while they're in the wilderness. But let's be honest, it doesn't take three months to go from Goshen in northeast Egypt to Canaan on the east side of the Mediterranean. Um, They're probably getting tired. Maybe a little sick of this journey. When can they settle down? When, when, does, when does it get good? When, when can they really enjoy the bounty in the, of the promised land? And I don't think I have to get too creative to say that we have the same longings in our own wilderness journey. Are we there yet? Are we there yet in our spiritual walk? Are we there yet as fruitful church members? Are we there yet as parents? Are we there yet as a couple? When, you know, when can we rest? Because this wilderness journey, this curriculum is hard. And it's you know, learning to trust the Lord who we know protects, who we know provides is difficult. When we're we're young, we're learning so much. We're learning about the world that we live in. We're learning what it means to work and relate to others uh, in this world. And before long, we realize that that learning never stops. Then we're establishing a home and we're working a job and we're navigating relationships. And then those relationships change. And so we move to a new home and a new job, new challenges that we share in the community of faith. It's tiring. We get distracted. We get discouraged, confused. Are we there yet? Now, we know we're not there yet. Our eternal inheritance is secure, but this wilderness journey and and the mission of worship and disciple-making continues until the King returns or calls us home uh, to His very presence and glory. But sometimes, maybe more than sometimes, We need some assurance that God is in control, that He does, in fact, know what He's doing, and that what He is doing is good for us and for His people. So we need to trust Him, to love Him, to really serve Him. That's what this wilderness journey is all about. When we get to Exodus 19, we find an assurance that the Lord is in control. He does know what He's doing, that He loves His people, and He... He loves them simply because they are His. He desires a covenant relationship with them. 
So a little warning here. Exodus 19 is dangerous, but it's a good dangerous. It's an assurance that is sealed with the power and the holiness of God. If God's chosen people are going to interact with Him, if they're going to come into His presence, then they will need to submit to His holiness. And we're actually going to read all of chapter 19, but in the portions that correspond with mountain climber Moses. He ascends up this mountain of God at Mount Sinai three times uh, during this chapter, uh, each time going up, receiving a message uh, from the Lord, relaying that to the people. Um, And so in these three trips, Moses, uh, we're going to see an an assurance and convey several things to the people of Israel uh, that consequently um, are conveyed to us as well. Uh, So let's go to the Lord, ask uh, for His help as we submit to His Word. Lord, it is Your Word that is forever fixed in the heavens. It is Your Word that endures. And we pray now that as we turn to Your Word, that You would help us, that You would take this authority, Your authority, and the truth of Your Word and work it in deeply into our hearts and our minds. We would know how to follow You, how to submit to You in the splendor of Your holiness. Guide our thoughts, Lord. Make us attentive in these moments. And may the message of Your Word be faithfully proclaimed. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the people have come to the base of Mount Sinai. It's probably only a few uh, miles from Rephidim where Jethro had returned the family to, to uh, Moses and uh, provided some much-needed counsel. So let's read on how this transpires. Exodus 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt... On that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came down and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. We'll just stop there in our reading for the moment. But the word that you've just heard, that we've just read, is considered by many to be the very heart of the Old Testament. Really, the, of the entire story, all of human history really can be explained and captured in these few verses. God has fulfilled His Word. He's brought Moses right back to the mountain where he said he would come and worship in chapter 3. So as the people are setting up camp, Moses climbs up the mountain and receives this marvelous covenant language. It's not the first covenant language that we've heard in the story. We hear this in God's relationship with Adam, with Noah, and we get to later, later on in Genesis, Genesis 12, 15, 17, the Lord makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I will be your God, 
and the God of your descendants after you. Walk before me and be blameless. God is the sovereign. He is the authority that establishes this covenant. For his part, he will protect. Fight for Abraham and his offspring. And they are to, in turn, give him their allegiance and full obedience as part of the covenant. But what does this allegiance and obedience look like in the context of a nation? How does this nation walk blamelessly before the Lord? And that's what's coming in the law at Mount Sinai. But it's introduced here. So we have another episode, another chapter of the story with more detail on what God's covenant of grace looks like with His chosen people. So there's a past, a present, a future aspect in this covenant language in verses 4-6. through six. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. The Lord has chosen this people, the descendants of Abraham, out of His good pleasure, out of His purpose. He has chosen them and brought them to Himself because He loves them. They haven't earned His attention. They don't deserve it. He's chosen to deliver them out of His love. Later in Deuteronomy 7, Moses reminds the people of this very truth. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Out of love, faithfulness to His promises, God has delivered His people. This, this picture of love, it's, it's pictured with an eagle, strong, majestic, eagle guarding her young, stirring up the nest, moving the nest. The little ones can, can leave the nest all the while just ready right there to catch them when they fall. We hear this language again, Deuteronomy 32. But the Lord's portion is His people, Jacob His allotted heritage. He found Him in a desert land in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with them. So God shelters His people under His wings. But the psalmist tells us, now He's brought them safely to this sanctuary, the sanctuary that is the mountain of God. I mean, do, you, do you really hear the language of love from God to His people? From God to you. We are His treasure because He has chosen to love us. Not because we're something special. Or we have, somehow have His attention. He loves us because He can. And does out of his very nature. And that love is active. It has talons like an eagle. And this love, this deliverance that the Lord initiates 
That's what he brings to completion. He's the redeemer of his people then and now. We need to hear this. We need to be assured of his covenant love. It's so easy to be dissatisfied and disappointed. And that can come through illness. It can come through a move. It can jump through job stress, conflict, loneliness. Yet we are God's treasure. We've been brought close through Jesus Christ. We are loved with a unique and lasting love. My wife has a t-shirt, has this simple message, fully known, fully loved. I mean, that's simple, yet it is absolutely profound. It is the only context in which a covenant, the obligations that go with a covenant, make sense. If all of our mess is known, and yet we're loved, what can we withhold from the one who shows us? That love. How can we show our love in return for such a great deliverance? And that's where the next verse, verse 5, takes us. We'll see more of in chapter 20. How God's people are to exercise their love and obedience to God. I was rescued them. God saves the people, verse 4. He calls them to live for Him in verse 5. I read a beautiful line this week. It says, this is the very same thing to the church today. God saves us in Christ before He calls us to live for Christ. What God has done, the love He has shown, always drives His instruction and the obedience of His prized possession. Um, here's the present aspect. Uh, God's love is not conditioned, cannot be earned, but there are conditions to live in covenant relationship with Him. People are to obey His voice. So the condition is, is perfect obedience to the Sovereign Lord. And this is how that covenant relationship is maintained. Now, the people are now servants of Yahweh. And by their obedience, they can actually fulfill God's intended purpose for humanity. To live in His presence. To serve Him directly. To rule as His little kings on the earth. And there were covenant obligations given, given to one man in Genesis 2. And then we see these, you know, here they come again to a larger group of people. We'll get more specifics on what obeying my voice should look like in the chapter ahead. You'll hear on occasion, depending where you're where you're listening, who you're listening to, that we no longer need the Old Testament. You know, it's archaic, it's outdated, it's hard to understand, and it's all fulfilled in Jesus anyway. So we really don't need to give the Old Testament as much attention. But church family, two-thirds of the scriptures you have in your lap are Old Testament. And we can understand who Jesus is and why He came and what He has fulfilled apart from the Old Testament. From His very mouth, Jesus said He came not to abolish the law or the prophets, to do away with those covenant obligations, but to fulfill them. So He's literally raised the roof on the law. If we're going to understand how to love God and love our neighbor, which is the way the Lord Himself summarizes uh, these obligations. And we need to give attention to 
the law. The voice of God in the Old Testament. We know the people are unable to keep these obligations. We know they're going to break covenant, but God provides the covenant keeper. You and I break covenant in our sin. In the obedience of Jesus, that obedience has been credited to us. This is God's grace. Through His death and through His life, we can keep the covenant. So this covenant, it's it's unconditional to us because Jesus has kept its conditions. The very conditions that God introduces here in these verses in 4-6. through So you heard in that purpose for all humanity, I hope you heard in that, to, to represent the Lord, to rule as He would rule, that's where this covenant language ends in verses 5 and 6. We'll call it the, the future aspect. God's people are set apart unto Him. They are to be holy. They are set aside as a, a priestly people. They represent God, show His redemptive purpose in the world. And they represent the nations before the Lord. The Apostle Peter, he reminds us, This is no less true for descendants of Abraham today. Priestly function is applied to the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are to be witnesses to the nations, to love our neighbors, to pray for them, to serve them, look for ways to serve them. I think if I were to unroll that just a little bit more this morning, perhaps our most faithful witness comes through our faithfulness. Our faithfulness in relationships, our consistency, our endurance, spouses, parents, family members, employees. I'm in a very anxious, quick fix, instant gratification society, faithfulness and integrity and a willingness to work for the long-term healing, that's going to stand out like a city on a hill. Nothing else. Be faithful. So Moses returns. He reports this covenant language to the elders, the representatives of the people. They would bring it uh, to the people. And there's a unanimous response. They say, we'll do it. We will keep all the words that the Lord has spoken it sounds like a sincere response. We know how long it's going to last. They won't keep His command. Moses won't make it down the mountain with those ten words before His people break covenant. So there's an apt warning for us here, just in that response. Are we quick to say, hey, I'm in. I'll follow. This sounds good. And then just as quickly, you know, do our own thing. Do our own thing when it seems expedient. Or maybe the Lord doesn't seem to be working on our timeline. Or the way that we think He should be working. Moses goes back up the mountain, make this report. Here's, here's his second ascent, starting at verse 9. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. 
For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So the first time up the mountain, it focused on redemption, God's love for His people. This second ascent focuses on an endorsement of Moses. He remains the mediator, the only one who can approach uh, the sanctuary of God on behalf of the people. And they can have full confidence uh, in this role of Moses. And actually be quite grateful that they do have one who can approach uh, God in His sanctuary. This is, this is where it's starting to get dangerous. For the people to enjoy a relationship with the Lord and to come into His presence, it's going to require some preparation. The Lord is going to call them, again, to, to the sanctuary, at least to the base of the sanctuary, where His presence resides. And if they're going to come anywhere near the presence of a holy God then they must consecrate themselves. This meant washing their clothes, refraining from sexual intimacy, which sounds somewhat strange, sort of random to us. But really consider what's happening here. The, the, the couple of days are a time of, of spiritual preparation for the people. Their focus needed to be, was to be, on this preparation, the magnitude of what it is they were about to do. You know, I think we, we have washing machines nowadays, so when we read you know, they're to wash their clothes, well, that's no big deal to us. And we can do that in uh, not a very long amount of time. But think of if you've got tens of thousands of people, um, no washing machines, now you've got to go to the local you know, water source to wash. This, this was a serious commitment, a serious effort to do this. Think of the lines and waiting to wash their clothes as part of this consecration. Think of the, I can remember waiting in line at Cedar Point to ride the Raptor roller coaster. And it was, it was the thing then, now it's old news, but we waited an hour and a half to go on a four-minute ride. Um, you think, why in the world would you stay in a line for an hour and a half for a four-minute ride? Why would anyone stay in a line that long? But it was the anticipation, the excitement of what was coming, and it was worth it. And we can't help but think there was some anticipation here. The people are willing to go through with this, with all this washing, this preparation, because of what's coming. Moses said, Be ready. 
You're going to see something like you've never seen before on the third day. And that's what happened on this morning of the third day. And I don't know what your alarm clock sounds like, but how's, how's about this for a wake-up call? A divine blast like a trumpet keeps getting louder and louder. Lightning, thunder, shaking as the Lord descends in fire on the mountain. Now Moses knew about fire on the mountain. He had seen it in a bush on this very same mountain. Now the whole mountain is covered in smoke. Billowing upwards from the top of the mountain. I mean, the people have seen the cloud and the pillar before leading them uh, through the wilderness. But this, this was different. This was something uniquely awesome. Everything is awesome? No. This is awesome. I mean, I love thunderstorms. I mean, just the natural, how God has, has created uh, the natural elements, how they work together to produce a thunderstorm. Um, but there is nothing like a flash of lightning and a crack of thunder to put you in your place. To realize just how little control you actually have. Um, and you can't tell me your heart isn't beating a little bit faster in the middle of a, 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 a good thunderstorm. And I've never been in an earthquake where the ground is actually shifting and you're seeing the buildings, but I would expect it produces a similar response. Um, a sense of awe, helplessness. Now just magnify that in your mind as an Israelite standing at the base of Mount Sinai. The mountain trembled. All the people are trembling. The power, the majesty of God. So we see the, the fulfillment of verse 9 in verse 19. God is speaking with Moses in the middle of all of this. So a very strong endorsement and an assurance for the people that they have someone who can speak with such an awesome God. Um, I think if coming before a human dignitary, you know, if that requires preparation, you know, cleaning up, how much more to stand before the King of Kings, approach Him in His holy sanctuary, that's a reminder from God to Moses when he goes up the third time here. Coming into his presence. It's a big deal. It's not to be done casually. In fact, there were boundary markers in place so that the people couldn't carelessly wander too close to the mountain. This was holy ground because it was occupied by the Holy One of Israel. So Moses' first trip, we hear redemption, then endorsement, now an emphasis on holiness. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Do you hear that repeated phrase? Lest the people break through and the Lord break out against them. Why would he do that? How could he do that? Because he is... Holy in and of Himself. He is perfect in every way. 
There's no hint of imperfection or unrighteousness that, that can even be in His presence. There's such an excellent illustration of this, of the Lord's severe holiness in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Men in Bible study looked at this, uh, this last week. Uh, David is trying to move the Ark of the Covenant, but to do so in a way that was not prescribed uh, in the Old Testament. And we're not quite there yet in Exodus, but we're going to learn that this Ark of the Covenant is a pretty important uh, piece of furniture representing the very presence of God. Well, the Ark begins to slide off of this cart, which it shouldn't have been on to begin with, and one of the helpers, Uzzah, reaches up and touches the Ark of the Covenant. It was the last thing he ever did. He's dead. You think, whoa. That's pretty harsh. That sounds kind of mean. That doesn't sound very fair. I mean, look what Uzzah's trying to do. He's just trying to help. And God strikes him dead. Hey, come on, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like this God of love, a God of mercy that I know. And we need to ask ourselves, how well do we know the God of the Bible? He's not you know, a man in a white beard um, that we can just sort of demand things from. Uh, he's not a divine grandparent that we just snuggle up to. He's not our best friend. God is not our best friend. He is the Holy One, awesome in splendor and majesty. We don't approach Him casually like we're sitting back in a living room or hanging out in a locker room. This is the same God who loves us who has redeemed us, but He is holy. And we approach Him. We approach Him in, in the private of our own room or in His sanctuary as we gather together. We're coming into the presence of the King. So is it possible that we approach God too casually, too comfortably? Annie Dillard, in her book, Teaching Stones to Talk, helps us see the danger here. Listen to this quote. On the whole, I do not find Christians outside the catacombs sufficiently sensible of the conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill on a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. Now, we're not being lashed to our pews. Maybe some of you parents have tried that, but we're not wearing crash helmets. Yet we come into the presence of a holy God. There's only one way that we can do that we need a Moses, we need a mediator, someone who can consecrate us, who can wash us, someone who can go directly into the presence of the Holy One for us. And we have this mediator. He's infinitely greater than Moses. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, bridges that infinite gap between 
a holy God and a sinful people. Through Jesus, through Jesus we've been brought near. We can have every confidence to enter the holy place, the holy presence of our God, because we come through Jesus. This means that by faith in the finished work of Christ, and that's His life, His death, His resurrection, continual intercession for us, that as a Christian you are holy. That you are consecrated before God. We are a holy people. That, that's a finished work. But we're still growing in that holiness. We're being made more and more holy by the work of His Spirit. Every step on this wilderness journey. The Lord did, He did break out upon His people. He broke out in just wrath upon His own Son. Jesus was broken so that you and I could break through to the holy presence of our God. We have full access to the throne room because God Himself is with us. So the people trembled, the mountain trembled before the power, before the holiness of God. So hear the assurance of God's love for His people. Of His love for you. He's redeemed you, brought you to Himself, consecrated you in Christ. And this assurance is grounded in His very character as the Holy One of Israel. That should be an assurance for us. We can rejoice in this. Rejoice with trembling. We worship in reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. But the fire and the trembling, that doesn't last. We've broken through in Christ. We've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so we come now to, not to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken. We come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. The Lord has made a way into His holy presence. He's given, us, he's given us the mediator that we need. God Himself is with us that we might be a holy people, a holy people for His glory. Let's pray together. Lord God, we praise You and thank You that You have made a way for us to come into Your holy presence. Lord, we do not come casually and tritely, but we do come confidently and boldly because we come through the cleansing blood of Christ. Lord, we thank You for this gift. We thank You for the intercession of our great High Priest, of our Mediator, continually offering this very prayer before Your throne. Lord, be glorified in us as a holy people and as a people that You are continually making holy. Lord, may we follow You faithfully in obedience to the covenant obligations that we will be reminded of in these weeks to come. We ask Your help in this. In Jesus' name, Amen.